Hi, I'm Bruce Barteau, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. All right, last week we talked about how God is doing what He said He would do, and what He said He was going to do is that He was going to make us in His image. That goes all the way back to the very beginning. Well, being in God's image means that we are a real living being, just as He is a real living being. Okay, so what does that mean, uh, that we are a living being? Again, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. All right, so what does that mean, that we're a living being? Well, a lot of things. You know, we, we think, we feel, we choose, we do actions. Uh, we have the ability to connect with other beings like ourselves and even the animal kingdom in some regards. Uh, primarily, he wanted us to be connected to him, which was the big problem we talked about a few weeks back on sin, how it separated us from God, and how we discussed that Life is not just moving around and breathing. Life is expressing the very nature and character that we were ex uh, created to express. Um, and that's his, that's his character. All right, so in the beginning, when he made Adam and Eve, uh, they were able to connect with God. They were connected with him because there was no sin in their life and they were not separated from him. But the day they ate from the fruit, they died. They were disconnected from him, disconnected from the one who is life. You know, last week, the very last slide I showed you uh, to illustrate, it showed that the Holy Spirit is not something, or someone, excuse me, that we relate to on the outside. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit moves on the inside. And uh, he takes up residence inside of us. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's a very simple equation. Either you have him or you don't. If you have the Son of God, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. Sometime, probably next week, we'll talk about the temple. Another one of those allegories, one of those pictures he's given us in the scripture to help us understand that we are God's dwelling place. Not temporarily, but he, he intends for it to be a permanent home for himself. There's a man named uh, Major Ian Thomas lived a few years back. Uh, he wrote some books, great books, I love them. Uh, the Saving Life of Christ, the Mystery of Godliness, If I Perish, I Perish. You can buy all three of those in a, in a little trilogy book, I think. They sell them that way nowadays, but it's a great read. But I heard him say one time when I was uh, at a place where he was speaking, he said, it's literally someone living in someone, talking about the life of Christ. And he was really a, a great teacher about the saving life of Christ that we're saved by his life, it talks about in the scripture. 
So God is doing what he's doing so that he can complete what, complete what he started. And a necessary element of that was that he connect himself to us in an unbreakable way so that his life becomes our life. He actually is our life. In John 14, verse 16 and 17, it says, Jesus is talking to the disciples, <clears throat> and this is what he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Very distinct difference between man's relationship to God before the new covenant. He was on the outside, but under the new covenant, he moves on the inside. Sealing us, we talked about that. What that meant is the guarantor, the guarantee, if you will, of God's promises to us that were unilateral. In Romans 8, 9 through 11, it says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive. Our spirit, our human spirit, is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it's like we had all the equipment necessary to live, but not the power to live. Just like it says in Acts 1.8, you receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So once God moves on the inside, the power to live life as God intended, we talked about last week, he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Being able to live life the way God lives. <clears throat> okay? And it's by moving on the inside, by, by connecting himself to us and us to him in such a way that we can intimately get to know each other so that the way he lives is the way we live. Now, he does it naturally. That's just who he is. We have received his nature, but we're learning to do it, I'm going to say naturally in some regards, in that as we get to know him, we trust him and walk with him by faith, and we begin to actually perform the deeds and say the words that he wants to perform and say at any given moment as an act of faith, trusting him. I said earlier, we're not just a posable action figure. You know, there's some teaching out there that basically looks at humanity as though we are just like giant G.I. Joe figures <laughs> or Barbie dolls or whatever that, and Ken, you know, um, that the child is playing with and they pose them and they make them walk over here and they tell them to, they make them sit down here and they, they speak words for them but they're not really saying anything and you know they put them in a car and they push them around 
But the figure itself has zero input, zero ability to affect what's going on around them. Well, I don't believe that God created us like that, that we are somehow puppets, that uh, Jesus inhabits, and we say what we don't necessarily have any will to say and do, we don't have necessarily have any will to do. There's a great study that we'll look at in this series in throughout the book of John where Jesus talks about why he did and said everything he did and said and what the key behind that was. That will be a very good study we'll look at because if we're being conformed to the image of Christ and he never changes, then as we grow in that knowledge and grow in that maturity, then we will live life literally the way he lived life. And he lived it by trusting his Father above all else, even his own thoughts, his own feelings and opinions and desires. And his thoughts, feelings, opinions, and desires were completely godly. So he wasn't having to give up ungodly desires or fleshly behavior or uh, an ungodly will and desire in order to do God's will because he was God. But he showed us how, and like I said, we'll talk about that in great detail later on. In Colossians 1, 25 through 27, it says this, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope we have of fulfilling the glorious purpose for which we were created is through the indwelling Christ. But once he moves in, and we'll talk about, like I said, next week in probably pretty good detail to this temple um, he didn't, he's not moving into a dirty temple. He had to cleanse the temple, and we'll talk about that. So that as his life is not just in us, but showing through us, uh, then the glory of God is being revealed. And it's probably not what we think it is. There's, we may have many opinions about what does it mean to display the glory of God. And think of great acts of miracles and all that kind of stuff. But it turns out that it might be something as simple as loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Or as Jesus said, the new commandment I give you is that you love one another as I have loved you. So if we carry out life and interact with other beings, God loving him and our neighbor loving them, Maybe that's displaying the very glory in the nature of God. Colossians 2.6 says, As therefore you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's a very simple statement that has great implications. He says, the way you receive Christ is the way you walk with Christ. Well, how did you receive him? There's only one way. It's by faith. You believe in the one whom he has sent. By grace you are saved through faith, it says in Ephesians 2. All right, so if that's how you receive him, that's how we walk with him. And I've made the point 
several times, I know, so far in the series that faith is trust. And we don't tend to trust someone we don't know. So we've talked in the weeks behind us already uh, that we already talked about that getting to know God is paramount. It's very important. It's, it's the top objective. Because the more we know God, the more we understand what his word means. We, we understand his character, uh, how he would act in certain situations. And indeed, through the Holy Spirit, we begin to sense how he is acting in the situation we're in. His opinion, his thoughts, his emotions, his will towards that person that's in front of us so that we will yield our will to his will in that moment. All of these things that God is doing is to inspire in us an ever-increasing trust in him. You know, Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And all of us with unveiled face, because we behold the glory of God, are being changed into his image from glory to glory. Okay, the Amplified says, from one degree of glory to another. There's this, this ever-increasing splendor it talks about in the Amplified translation. So we're seeing God more and more and more. And he's drawing the parallel, another one of those allegories, that just as Moses would spend time in the presence of God and he would begin to glow in the presence of one who is light, he says that just, that's just like it is for us. The more we behold his glory, the more, the more we begin to be changed in that glory to glory, in that ever-increasing splendor that the life of Christ shows through us more and more as we understand him and trust him more and more. It doesn't make us more saved. It just reveals our salvation more and more. We were made to respond to love by faith. And I capitalized the word love there and the, I, I, I love substituting the word trust for faith. So the more we respond to the love of God out of trust in the one who loves us and gave himself up for us, he loved us that much, then what you see coming out of us as God's children is God's character, God's life, the life of God being lived through us. In Romans 8, 14 to 16, it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but the spirit of adoption. As sons, we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. All right, so the Holy Spirit's in us. And he's reminding us, you're my child. And we're crying out, Abba. That's just basically Hebrew for daddy. Um, it's a term of endearment that a child would talk to his, his papa. And he said that spirit within us, because of the confirmation of the Holy Spirit who keeps reminding us that's who we are, and we cry out, Dad, help us. Help us understand what's going on around us. Show us how to do something. Have you ever had the opportunity to teach a child how to do anything, you know, write their name or draw a picture of a doggy or drive a car one day and all that kind of stuff? You know, they're wise to ask for some help. How do you do that? You know, how do you keep from running over the curb or, 
or whatever, you know. And fortunately, our Heavenly Father is always on the job and he always knows just exactly how to do it. Not in a way that seeks to condemn us. The Bible says when, when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And so he doesn't want to condemn us. The condemnation is gone. In Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So his correction and leading is to lift us up and build us up, not to beat us down. So we are made to give love by faith. So we receive it by faith, we respond to love by faith, and we're to give it by faith. There's, there's a great principle just of life in general. You cannot give something that you do not have. You know, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. And so, as we know and receive and understand and and bask in the love of God, which is doing things for me that I really need, things that are most beneficial for me. That's how God loves us. Well, loving others is doing things for them that are beneficial for them. 1 John 4, 16 through 19 says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. So he wants us to be in this world just like he is. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loves us. And so as we get to know God, he's not trying to get us to be afraid of him. He is showing us that we don't have to be afraid of him, that his profound love for us took care of anything that would be scary and moved it out of the way like death, hell, and the grave, and those kind of things. And then he brought us near, so near that he put himself inside of us, bonded himself to us in a permanent fashion so that throughout this life and all the ages to come, our life will be an expression of his life because that's indeed what it is. He is our life. That's why the scripture says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will also be revealed with him in glory. He is our very life. Now I have an illustration. Uh, years ago I was driving down the road and um, I saw this object laying beside the road and I said, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that picks up stuff beside the road that I think is interesting. And this is what I picked up. A really large cool looking light bulb. And I thought, that is really neat. I've never seen one just like that. I think it's a street light. I have since found out that it's a metal, metal halite light bulb, like they put in big gymnasiums and street lights and things like that. Anyway, it's burned out, but I picked it up because it looked cool, and I took it to my office and I put it on a bookshelf. And over the years, I've thought about that bulb, and one day I realized that I had repurposed this bulb. I had turned it into a knickknack. 
because it looked cool. But that's not why it exists. It was created for a purpose. It was created to receive power and glow so that, that power that came into it would produce light to shine out of it. Now you think about how did that thing come to be? Well, there was glass that had to be produced. There was a lot of technology and probably experiments. You know, we, we read about Thomas Edison, how he made thousands of light bulbs before he finally got one to work. And um, so there's a lot of effort and energy and everything that went into making the, the bulb. But why? So it would glow. If all the efforts to make all the light bulbs that have ever been made, and none of them ever worked, it would all be a waste of time. There would be no reason for light bulbs. We wouldn't make these things just for fun. You know, we make billions of these things probably on the planet, and all different kinds nowadays. But they have a purpose, and that purpose is to receive power so that the effect of the power can be seen through the bulb. Now, the bulb can't create light, but the power received can. Well, here's another light. A little flashlight, same kind of idea, but there's, a, there's something inside this that makes it work, right? It's called a battery, okay? It's the power source. If I take that out, put it back together and push the button, nothing happens. It's got all the parts, it's all there. It's, everything's necessary is there. Well, let's say it was even broken and needed a new bulb that couldn't even glow. Well, new life and uh, salvation is kind of like you take a, a flashlight that doesn't work and you realize the bulb is burned out. So you take the burned out bulb out and you put a new bulb in, but it still doesn't work because it needs power. And so think of us as the flashlight. He replaces our ability to glow through the regenerated work. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. And you become this new being. And then he puts himself on the inside of us so that he can energize us with his power. <clears throat> Jesus at one point said, I am the light of the world. And then later he told the disciples, you are the light of the world. Well, which one was true? Well, they both are. The difference is Jesus was ability to be the light of the world all by his lonesome. He didn't need to have power. He is power. We, on the other hand, have the ability to be the light of the world if the light of the world lives in us. The Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. All right, so his life in us is the source of his life and light shining through us. And it seems that, and we'll talk about this in greater detail next week, uh, there's, a, there's a, a process that we're involved in, that God is helping us through, that helps us to walk by faith in such a way that His life shines out of us. 
Now that's what God is doing. That's what he's up to. He is going to finish what he started. He created us to be a real living being, not an inanimate object with no will of our own. Now we can't create the consequences of our choices. We can't, we can't predetermine what our consequences are going to be, but we can make any choice we want to. Even as a believer, I can choose to turn the switch off and focus my mind on the things below instead of the things below, above and not, if you will, allow the life of Christ to shine out of me. But at any given moment, I can take that thought captive and turn my mind back to the person of Christ who lives within me and let his thoughts become my thoughts and let his ways become my ways and his actions become my actions by faith. It's all by faith, all by trusting the one who knows the right way, the best way, the most beneficial way to go for me and for those around me. All right, so I hope these little illustrations have been helpful. For me, they're good to visualize something. God really is up to something, and he is gonna finish what he started. He that began a good work in you, it says in Philippians 1.6, will bring it to completion. None of God's children will be his first failure because he doesn't fail to finish what he started. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are faithful, that you will finish what you've started, that you're not just sitting in heaven to see if we'll figure out how to do this on our own, but you actually, through the Holy Spirit, when we're, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit moves inside. You move inside to stay with us forever. Like we saw, he'll be in you, with you forever, and not just with you, but in you. And so, Father, help us to know you in such a way that we trust you in such a way that in our moments, what we do is what you're doing. We pray in Christ's name, amen.